Welcome to another Macquarie Life Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. Now, I believe, firstly, I want to just welcome our online viewers. Those who are watching from home, probably a wise decision today. Mark's there. Wasn't going to come in, but he braved it, and I thank you, Mark. That's great. I believe that one of my superpowers is the ability to come into a room when Sue is three quarters of the way through a movie, to sit down, ask three questions, and be fully immersed in the movie. Now, I exercised that gift just last week, and she was watching, a bit of a spoiler alert, she was watching the movie Wit with Emma Thompson. And witness a story of a female university lecturer or professor, and she's on her end-of-life journey with cervical cancer. Cherry movie. Now, I came in when the story was nearly at the end, and I asked my three questions, and I was in. It was great. And when Emma Thompson's character comes very close to her death, she receives a visit from her one friend, her tutor, an older woman. And her tutor comes in and she lies on the bed with her to comfort her. Emma Thompson's character can't speak, so her friend takes out a copy of a children's book called The Runaway Bunny. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen The Runaway Bunny. Apparently, it's a huge book. But um, she begins to read this book aloud. Now, basically, it's a to-and-fro conversation between a bunny and its mother. And the bunny begins. Once there was a little bunny who wanted to run away. And the mother said, if you run away, I will run after you because you're my little bunny. Then I'll change into a, a fish in a trout stream and I will swim away from you. Well, I will become a fisherman and I will fish for you. Then I'll become a rock on a mountain high above you. Then I'll become a mountain climber and I will climb to be where you are. And at that point, she stops reading the book and puts it down. And she says, oh, look at that. A little allegory of the soul. No matter where it hides, God will find it. I'd been wondering how I might introduce Paul's letter to the Romans. And I thought, that's it. Running from God was Paul's life, initially, before his dramatic meeting with the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus. And I'd say that running from God, or hiding from God, sits in most of our stories at various points. And Paul's letter to the church in Rome that we begin today, one of the first things that he begins to address is our natural inclination to sin. And often our response to that sin is to run further from God, to hide from him. Because we can't fix it or make it right as hard as we try. And we can't earn our way back to him on our own. So I don't know that the book of Romans is a 
an allegory of the soul. But Paul certainly addresses how our decisions and our sin have separated us from God. But no matter where we try and hide, God finds us. And Romans is the story of God's plan to bring us back to him. Today, I'm, what I'm hoping to do is to give you some background and a general overview of the book. <clears throat> to set it up for the speakers who are going to come. Because it's going to be an epic journey, I think. But before I get into it, I just wanted to look for a moment at Paul, the author. Because he's such an interesting character. Paul is not one of the 12 disciples. And he actually never knew Jesus in the flesh. In fact, in fact, he hardly even quotes Jesus directly. And he writes these incredible letters in what seems to be almost a vacuum. Several decades after any of the four Gospels are written. And before there was even such a thing as Christian theology. But perhaps of greater importance is Paul's relationship to Jesus and Jesus' ministry. So Jesus comes and he proclaims the reign of God is here. But then it's Paul who goes on to give it shape and structure. He takes Jesus' teaching and he puts it into practical, ethical, pastoral package so that this can happen. Church. And isn't it amazing that church still exists largely on the guidelines that Paul established? Paul's whole mission was to create a solid vehicle for Christ's vision, and he did it. So in his letters, he begins the important role of organising the message, the ministry, and the shape of what would become Christianity. So that's Paul. Now, you can never underestimate the context in understanding God's word. So as we head into Romans, I want to paint a little bit of a picture of the setting around the church in Rome at that time. See, the early churches didn't exist as we know church. There was still considerable persecution in Rome, and the Christians of Rome were meeting in house churches scattered across the Sydney, across the city. About 40 probably in each, not huge. But they were growing all the time. And these house churches would have consisted mostly of Jewish Christians. With a growing number of non-Jewish Christians in the mix. Gentiles. But the churches, they would have felt very Jewish in their practices and their interpretations. But then in AD 49, for who knows why, still a lot of conjecture, the Roman Emperor Claudius decided to kick all of the Jews out of Rome. And the Jewish Christians, of course, would have been part of that, so they were exiled from Rome. 
so that the Gentile Christians who were left continued to meet in their house churches. And the churches began to feel a little bit different, more Gentile, non-Jew. And I reckon that if Ros was to leave tomorrow and Tim Stevenson was placed in charge of the church, <laughs> then the church service would certainly incorporate somewhere within it sports. And it's likely that some of the readings would be done in Chinese because that's his passions. So it started to feel a little bit different. Anyhow, about five years later, after Claudius's death in AD 54, the Jews start to come back into Rome. But the composition of the church is, is very different. Things have flipped. They would have been placed in this difficult situation of having to assimilate into groups that felt pretty foreign to them. And as you would expect, they would have all been doing a little bit of toing and froing, a bit of tug of war, to try and redefine themselves in these churches. Because they were predominantly Gentiles at that stage. Now, Paul's letter to the Romans arrives while he, about AD 57, while he was in Corinth and the Jews were still trickling back into Rome. So you begin to get a picture of why some of the topics that Paul addresses in Romans are very specific to this sort of self-definition that's happening, this tug of war. So if you get that picture in your mind, and remember that the expulsion of the Jews from Rome had a huge impact on the churches in the city, then I think you'll understand the message of Romans so much easier. And when you hear some of the questions that Paul puts to the church about Jewish Christian and Gentile Christian, you'll see where they're coming from. But what I don't want you to do is to ever think, oh, this was a letter specifically written for the church just then in that situation. Because let me tell you, if you have been around churches enough, you'll know that the church regularly goes through that exact same tug of war. Every time that there is a change in leadership, or a tweak in how things are done, or if the drums are too loud, or if anything alters the status quo of our very comfortable me-ish church, it happens. So Paul's message is as much for us today as it was for the church in Rome back then. Romans has gained some pretty hefty praise by some very well-known individuals over time. John Calvin said this, <clears throat> that when anyone understands this letter, they have a passage open to them to the understanding of the whole of Scripture. That's pretty big. Martin Luther said that this letter is really the chief part of the New Testament and the very purest of Gospels. John Knox suggested 
that it was unquestionably the most important letter even ever written. A young Greg Beaton in our church shared with his then girlfriend, Karen, on their third day, Romans 10 verse 9. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's a good share for a third day, isn't it? <clears throat> Romans is probably best known, though, for defining the gospel and some really significant principles. And some of the terms that are used are terms that I've always regarded as a bit mm, Christianese. I remember as a pastor making the decision not to use these words in any of my messages because they were so foreign to people's language and understanding. And words that just roll off your tongue, probably some of them will come up there. Justification, redemption, regeneration, propitiation, adoption, sanctification, glorification. Whoa. Big themes. And Romans is where you'll find them. And hopefully you will come to understand the significance of these words and the richness behind their meaning. Because as scary as they are, they are important. But at the core of Romans is Paul's heart. In writing this letter, and it's apparent in every one of the letters that he wrote, Paul's heart was so much about the people. He's writing to churches that are made up of people who are going through stuff, who have problems and worries and struggles and questions. He didn't set out to write some lofty theological thesis, even though he probably managed to. Because the bigger focus for him was connection. Love. Care for the people. So balanced against having to spell out these really lofty terms and some pretty black and white concepts of what the Christian faith should feel like is Paul's caring, practical nature. So hopefully that gives you a bit of an idea of the context surrounding the book. I want to just quickly now look at some of the themes that are going to be covered during our time that we go over this. And I'm not going to expand on these much because I don't want to steal thunder from any of the speakers who are going to come. The first thing that Paul addresses is that, hope it's up there, our natural inclination to sin separates us from God and how we can't make ourselves right or earn salvation on our own. So in Romans 1, verse 18, Paul just dives right in. And he's talking about all mankind in general. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything that God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. End of verse 22. Yes, they knew God. But they wouldn't worship him as God or, or even give him thanks. 
and they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. In other words, Paul is saying, since God has revealed himself to us from the very beginning, we kind of need to make a choice. We can either glorify him as God, or we can choose to walk away. And Paul explains that this dilemma has been there from the very beginning of time. And our track record is, well, often we choose not to acknowledge God. That's society we live in. That's society that we live in. And as a result, our thinking becomes whacked and it becomes impractical and we try to plug that God-shaped hole that is meant to fit in with every other thing. And the result, and do we see this in our world, is dark, confusion, and a hard heart concerning God. First thing. Second theme that Paul looks at is the whole basis of the gospel. It's like a law moment, can't lie at the moment. <clears throat> In his loving kindness, God provided a way to bring us back to him through his son, Jesus Christ, who paid our sin debt through his sacrificial death. Reading Romans 3.22. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. You know, I think one of the first verses that I memorized, and it's interesting how Roz says that so many memory verses come from Romans, was the first straight after this, verse 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And isn't it funny for us oldies that most of our memory verses are in King James. <laughs> they still come out that way. <clears throat> I think what's important for us to grab here is that the only way that we can be made right with God is through faith in Jesus. God's solution was to justify us or take away the guilty charge of our sin, which according to the law has separated us from God forever. And this process is called justification. And while justification might not be a term that we use much, understanding what it means and that it was God's solution to the condemning effects of sin in our lives. It's a biggie. And I'm happy to hand that over to someone to discuss in depth at a later time. The third theme that Paul looks at explains where grace fits into everything. God's grace through the Holy Spirit, works in us to help us avoid sin and grow to become more like Jesus. In Romans 8, 9 to 10, he writes, But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit, if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you eternal life because you have been made right with God. As a marriage celebrant, I always find it interesting just how keen a bride is to get that name change in a lot of cases. 
And I have to regularly advise them, please don't sign your new signature, which you've been practicing for weeks on the day. I need your old signature. Okay? This idea of out with the old and in with the new is so good. And Paul is describing here how God's spirit brings about a transformation in us. A bit like that. The old is gone, the new has come. And our association with God is not tied to our old life. Nor is our new nature tied to our old sins. But we become one and the same with Jesus. And the impact of this process is so profound that it becomes obvious that the Holy Spirit is doing something in us. And it's a process that brings about an outward sign that we belong to Christ. That's what should be happening. And Paul takes it a little further by suggesting that if we belong to Christ, then the grace he has shown towards us should have a similar effect on how we behave, on how we treat others, forgive others, and show grace to others. And people should be able to notice the change in us. There should be something different. Fourth general theme he covers. Spells out the breadth of God's plan. God's plan is for everyone. Any person who has faith in Jesus Christ can receive his redemption. He writes in Romans 4 verse 16, So the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift. And we are all certain to receive it. Whether or not we live according to the law of Moses, if we have faith like Abraham, for Abraham is the father of all who believe. This is so good. The word grace is used by Paul 20 times in Romans. So it's a key point that he wants us to understand. He makes it pretty clear that just as the Jewish heroes like Abraham and King David were made righteous through grace by faith, regardless of the religious practices that they followed or they didn't, that same grace is available to everyone who has faith in Jesus. Final thing that Paul deals with is around unity. Since we are all united in our need for Jesus, we should work together for other members of the body, for, with other members of the body of Christ, the church, to build up each other and give honour and glory to God. Towards the end of the letter, he writes, May God, who gives us this patience and encouragement, help you to live in complete harmony with each other, as is fitting for the followers of Jesus Christ. Then all of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. If only we can put aside our differences, our preferences, our stubbornness, then maybe one day, the church will become all that Jesus planned it to be. So there we have an overview of Romans in a nutshell. 
Paul's words remind us that we, we come to God not by doing it right. But surprise, surprise, we come to God by doing it wrong. We are acceptable to God, not by the good stuff we do. Even though we still struggle to add up those good things. We're acceptable to God by absolute faith in his infinite mercy that we call grace. The question that Paul asked is, how could God love me so unconditionally? The answer he realised was God loved him in his unworthiness while he was still a sinner. And as he puts it in Romans 5 verse 8, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And when he got that, he didn't have to waste the rest of his life trying to become worthy to prove his, his worthiness to himself or to anyone else. He fell in love with a God who loved him for nothing. My hope is that as we venture into Romans, that you're going to feel that as well. No matter where you are today, Paul assures us that thanks to Jesus, there is reason for hope. And in my absolute favourite verse from Romans, which Ros began with, Romans 8.38, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, angels or demons, neither fears for today or the worries of tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. Our mission as a church is to look up, lean in and reach out. This next couple of months is definitely going to be a lean in time. And I encourage you to do just that. Be open to what God is going to say to you. Be prepared for the squirm that it creates and the potential change that you might need to make in your life. But together we are growing to be more like Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, Paul's words just seem to hit hard. And it causes us to think about our relationship with you, our relationship with others, how we are as a church, Lord. And I look forward to the squirming. I look forward to the challenge that you're going to put to your people. Father, keep us open to your prompting of the Holy Spirit. And may there be a work happening here in each of our lives over this next period of time as we just absorb Paul's words to the Roman church. Amen. 
Thank you for listening. We hope you have enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit macroylifechurch.com.au.